Hi, this is Chad. In this episode, we curse a couple times, not too bad. Also, we reference episode 6, episode 9, and episode 7. We bounce around. We use the word episode all the time. I apologize for that. Sometimes it's in reference to our podcast. Sometimes it's in reference to The Mandalorian Season 1. Sometimes it's in reference to the Skywalker saga, the Star Wars movies. I understand it might get a little confusing. I apologize. There's no easy way to go about it. Hopefully the context helps. Anyways, here is the episode. I hope you enjoy. Hello, this is Chad, and we've got Zach here. This is Zick and Wick, episode 7. And we're going to be talking about The Mandalorian, episode 7, and talking a little bit about episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker, and just about the Star Wars universe in general a bit more. So just jumping right into The Mandalorian, we're going to try and do a recap quickly, not spend too much time on it, but there's a lot of things in the context of the show, this episode, that I think comments on the world of Star Wars and is is pretty interesting and maybe you want to spend some more time on it after we do the recap. So I'll try and blaze through it. I'll give you a time to jump to when the recap is <laughs> over. Just off the jump, you know, you open up Disney Plus and we've got Giancarlo Esposito's face right there. You know he's going to show up. Very curious about who he is and where he comes from in this world. You know what? Let's talk about this character right away because he is the most interesting person by far that pops up and i don't know if it's just because he's got carryover cred from breaking bad if he's just a badass or if he just is set up really well i i think any show he shows up in for the rest of his career he's automatically got credit from from breaking bad it doesn't matter what role he shows up in I, I agree with you, but the way that he shows up in this episode immediately gets that badass, I know what's going on, I'm an actual competent bad guy, you know, I'm I'm already two steps ahead of you. Yeah. So, so it doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt when you're uh you're you've got six death troopers that actually know how to shoot that uh that are that are at your command. So are those death troopers, are they in the movies? I think they show up in episode eight, do they not? They do not. They, the only movie they show up in is um, is Rogue One. They were like a they they were specifically designed for Rogue One. The only other time they show up is in Star Wars Rebels. That's the only other two times we've seen them. So if they show up, because what's happening in Rogue One and Star Wars Rebels, where they're relevant and why are they different from other Star uh, Stormtroopers? So really, I mean, in all theory, I mean. To be frank, it was they just created them to have more toys to sell for Rogue One. They needed some kind of new stormtrooper because they were going back in time. It was just going to be the old, the old stormtroopers. We needed some new badass character that this is to be introduced as part of that movie, just to kind of build the hype. Um, that's, that's why. I, what's that? I agree with you at that time, but I think they're going back to it for a reason. Well, they are, so they do explain it a little bit in Rogue One and the book that's linked to Rogue One, that these guys are the elite stormtroopers, like they are selected based on their size, based on their demeanor, based on their um, their intelligence. Um, it's almost like they, they try to treat them as the Navy SEALs of uh, stormtroopers. 
So they've shown up three times. If they are the Navy SEALs of the Stormtroopers and they're with this guy, I think his name is, is um, Moff. Did you catch his name? It's Moff. Mo- Moff Gideon. Moff Gideon. So he, <laughs> if he's with Moff Gideon, they must be a special contingent. So let's talk about the Imperials, the Empire, where the Empire is now. Also, what does this mean about the future? So yeah. my, my understanding is, in episode six, when the Empire is basically destroyed, they're broken up into fragments, and then it's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's done. Is that not true? Or, like, are there still, how much of the Imperial, the Empire, is, is still around, and how much power do they really have? So it's semi-true. Um, they they go into this in um, the Aftermath trilogy. They also go into it in the Battlefront 2 campaign that they really, the, the whole idea was that Palpatine, everybody that he trusted afterwards, he was going to take off into the unknown regions. Um, and that's what he did. He had this whole contingency plan. It was, and the contingency plan was called the First Order because it was the First Order after his death was to take these the remaining fragments of the empire and take them off into the, into unknown space and develop them into this new order. But not all of them made the cut. There's all these um, fractions or factions of the empire that are still in different parts of the galaxy. And depending on where you are now this, this planet is supposedly like out in um, the outer rim or, or close to wild space. So it's not, as close to the core world where Coruscant is that they're probably just more, they were left behind and they just, they know the emperor's gone. So this Moff Gideon has probably taken this regime of stormtroopers and the, and the empire and made it his own. He's almost got his own little, I don't know, uh, his own little empire building in this section of the galaxy. Yeah. His own, his own faction of the empire. Right. Um, My question was going to be, when he shows up in the episode and you see his ship, his ship looks very clean, very tidy. They look like they're still well-funded. So it's not like they've been hurting. It's not like the stormtroopers and the ex-imperials who are kind of wandering around and look like they're ramshackled and in trouble. These guys look like they're they're ready to go. Right. And, and they do establish in some of the canon material that um, – so Moff is kind of like a title, almost like governor. Um, so, um, so if you think about Tarkin, he was a governor, but he was also a grand, he was actually the grand moff. He was kind of the, the leader of all the moffs, but there's multiple moffs throughout the galaxy and they're kind of the, the imperial lead of these certain, um, uh, these certain planets or these certain systems. And so he's probably been in, been in power at the system and he's had it under enough lockdown that nobody's going to come overthrow him. And the rebels slash New Republic, they just they like, well, those guys are too far away. They're too well. Um, they're too well armed. We're not even going to mess with them. Just let them do their thing. And when we we'll get to them when we get to them. OK, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run through the plot really quickly. And then we're going to spend some more time on the tail end of this episode. And then I also want to spend a little bit of a little bit of time talking about theme and the parallels between Star Wars and um, Star Wars is is you know the Jedi is a religion and some of their their tenets some of their beliefs 
um, align with real world faiths and religions as well. But there's a lot of theme that's heavy in Star Wars, and I I have a theory that it that it is um, both a a boon and a weight on Star Wars, and it's something that happens in the episode um, where there's there's touching they touch on theme, and I like it a lot, and it got me thinking about how Star Wars compares to other franchises and the weight of it and this is just something that came up in my mind as i was watching the episode and i actually just listened to another podcast by the wall street journal talking about disney's acquisition of of lucasfilm and how there's so much expectation for this this franchise this ip sorry to say it call it ip but for this asset to make money for disney and it's it's we'll get into a little bit later but i think it's a weight it's a burden on something that shouldn't have this burden star wars in the 70s and the 80s was fun it had a lot of theme and ideas in it but when people watched it there was no pretense there was no expectation and now there is and i feel like ugh, it's tugging the story in directions that are not fair to it and then also i don't know whether the fans are going into the story with too much expectation. That's we can go on and on about it, but let me. Yeah, no, I think you, I think you summed it up pretty nicely. There was even another theme that I really caught on on this episode, um, in particular. But I, I agree. It's this is a, this is one big difference between Marvel and Star Wars, where Marvel they don't. It's more. I mean, it's all about superheroes, and they have all this. Uh, this background to, to draw from Star Wars. I mean, it was, I mean, the, it was kind of, it, it was basically like the, the empire was the Nazi re- regime and Jedi was a, a religion. And they, I mean, this is, this has a lot more than 80 years worth of um, build up from comic books. It has thousands of years of religion to build off of in, in a, in a fictional world, but they can take the themes from, from all that. Yeah, yeah. So let's just do a really quick recap of the episode. If you guys are bored with this, just skip forward. We jump in. Um, the Razor's Crest is in space. Yoda's asleep. Mando gets a hologram from Grief Karga. He wants Mando to come back to Navarro. He has a proposition. He wants help because the client has taken over Navarro and he needs help to fight him off. They want to use Baby Yoda as bait and they're going to kill off the client so right off the bat this episode you know in the first couple minutes it feels like it's going to be another one of the i don't know a repeat of the last five episodes i was a little bit um i was a little bit i was expecting it to be more of the same and i want i was almost ready to be disappointed again but as we will see that changes in the back end of this episode and there's some touches on, on theme that I thought were really cool in the episode that kept it interesting until we got to that point. All right, so we set course to Navarro. Sorry, we set course to go somewhere. What ends up happening is Mando starts to recruit folks that we've met along the way to return to Navarro with him. So he picks up Cara Dune. He picks up um, the pink dog face. 
guy, and he also ends up picking up IG-11, which is the droid that was a bounty hunter that was hunting down Baby Yoda in the first couple episodes. So uh, along the way, there is discussion of a few themes or ideas that end up being important. So in Star Wars, there are many characters who are either indentured servants or slaves and are held in bondage. So this goes along with a lot of the real-world alignments where the Empire is seen as kind of like colonialism or um, the Roman Empire or other empires that have existed in the real world. And, you know, the Jedi and the common folks are, you know, either not as well off or they're taken advantage of or they're in this episode. We come to find out that Queel, which is the pink-faced guy, Nick Nolte's character's name, was sold into bondage as an indentured servant to the Empire. Cara Dune, who fought for the rebels, you know, obviously does not care for the Empire. When she finds this information out about Quill, she is not happy, which I thought that was pretty interesting. You don't know that he was a, he was an indentured servant, a, basically a slave, and was forced to fight for the Empire, to work for the Empire. But there's this theme of survival, being in control, and also doing what you have to do in order to survive. So Quill was a slave, and he worked for the Empire. I guess he was, I don't know exactly what he did, but I think he was kind of like a mechanic or an engineer or something like that. If you think back to episode uh, five, Empire Strikes Back, the guys in that, um, when they're in Cloud City, uh, deassembling C-3PO, those guys are the same race. They're Ugnaughts. Um, so they're, they're by, I don't know, by trade mechanics. Right, part part of their culture is so he was sold into service of the empire and Cara Dune when finding this information out it's kind of a nice little kind of a question or a conundrum there's a little bit more nuance to it. like oh I can't just hate this guy because he was an imperial you know he was forced to work for them and at some point I guess he was able to earn money and buy buy his way out of a bondage um, either that or the Empire fell and he was able to get out that way, too. Yeah, that's true. But I think he actually says that he was able to buy his way out. He does. Yeah. So it's we're still unclear exactly how it happens. But yeah. Um, another quick note, Mando and Kara arm wrestling at some point on their way to Navarro. And Yoda thinks that Kara is actually fighting Mando. So... Yoda starts to force choke Kara. Mandy intervenes and puts the kibosh on that. But it's a reminder that what we saw earlier on with the, the what is it called? The rhino? The mudhorn. The mudhorn uh, is still present. He still has that power. And we'll find out later on that he, Yoda, definitely is more than just force sensitive. And he has some more powers. I was wondering whether or not Yoda was... We can touch on... Okay, so in the the prequels, Anakin, when he is taken to the Jedi Temple and they're assessing to see whether or not he's a good candidate to be brought up with, with the Jedi to go into training, they say he's too old. Um, and the risk is he may go bad. 
because he they want to make sure they groom him from a young age. Yeah, and I think it's less about age and it's more about the influences that have been on your life already, which will, I'll talk about that that was one of the themes that I really caught on to this one. It's it's not really it's not really who you are, it's the people you surround yourself with that that mold you. Yeah, it's true. That is definitely true. And you see that in real life too. I've had this conversation with folks in the past. You can you surround yourself with good people and still turn into a bad person, or you can be around bad people and still turn out to be a good person, but it makes life a lot more difficult. How you define yourself, your identity is is determined by who's around you, or it it pushes against you or or it pushes you in a certain direction where you can make choices. Right. So obviously Anakin did not turn out very well. That was because of some very unique circumstances. But Baby Yoda, what I want to say in in particular in context of this episode is, you know, he ha- he's very strong with the Force, clearly. He He's not a Jedi. He's not a Sith. He's just a Force-sensitive person. And you can you see the power in him, and you see that if he's groomed in the wrong direction or if he's taken in by ex-Imperials or the First Order, he may turn into a Sith or he may be just a bad person. You don't know what's going to happen with him. And that's a little bit of a demonstration in that scene of what he can do. Yeah, it's very much they show the dichotomy of him in this episode. They show one extreme and the other for Baby Yoda. Yes. Okay, so let's jump ahead. We get to Navarro, and they're they're camping out in an area that is full of lava. I was getting episode three vibes. I'm getting reminders of that final battle between uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan. Do you know what planet, what's the name of that planet? Uh, Mustafar. Mustafar. And that's where Darth Vader ends up setting up his his, his castle. Yep, that they showed Rogue One. Immediately, um, I thought there may have been a connection. I didn't realize that there was lava fields on the planet where, where Navarro was at. So I was a little surprised. So while they're camping out, they get attacked by these things that look like pterodactyls, basically. Which I was a little surprised by. They've lived on this planet for so long. Did they not know that these things were out there? That's a plot hole. Yeah, but, but they, they they're so far out from from their civilization, their their city that they could just not bother people in the city. Okay, so they get attacked and Grief is injured. Baby Yoda approaches Grief and basically heals him. So when we saw Baby Yoda reaching for Man Mando in an earlier episode, I commented, Oh, maybe he's trying to heal Mando and it turns out that's true. Baby Yoda has incredible powers and he can hurt or help people and it's that's the the choice he has to make quill did not have a choice when he was forced into bondage when he was a slave of the empire he had to help the empire he was able to buy his way out and after he got out he wanted to isolate himself not a good set of circumstances you know baby yoda who knows what's going to happen with him but if he's forced to be part of something bad He's going to have to make some choices, but he's very powerful. He's not just a mechanic. He's a guy that's very strong with the Force. Okay, so let's jump ahead. They, they come up with a plan to meet up with the client, use 
Mando as bait and kill the client. They're going to leave Baby Yoda with Quill and they're going to come for him afterwards, but they're going to kill the client first. They go to meet up with the client and things go badly. The client gets a call from somebody, somebody we don't know yet. And it turns out it is Moff Gideon. And Moff Gideon, he and his, his death troopers immediately start blasting the building to shreds. He basically, I think he kills the client and the client's stormtroopers. It, it, seemed, it seems like he at least kills the stormtroopers. I believe he kills the client, but I'm not really so sure. That's one of their big stars on this. Uh, he's one of the more interesting characters in it, so I kind of hope he isn't dead yet. But uh, yeah, it looks like he might be dead. This is something that maybe we should talk about. Um, but Moff Gideon kills these people. I thought they were on the same side. I don't know if the client is in the First Order or if he's working directly with or as part of Moff Gideon's group, but you would think that this was unnecessary. So my thought is that maybe there is a divide between the folks who are occupying Navarro and who Moff Gideon is. Yeah, we don't we don't know yet. I um I I almost think he was sending a message that uh the client was supposed to do this this task for him, and he's been wait. I, it almost feels like Moff Gideon's been his patience is up. He's been waiting too long for the client to find the child. He thought he had him once. Um, he didn't. Could be months that they've been gone. And actually, I think it's been kind of, it's been quite a while. They don't tell us exactly how long it's been, but they make it. They imply that it's been quite some time. Right, and and I remember in episode four, the sanctuary. They did imply that it'd been a few weeks in between when they had their battle at the end of the episode. So it's probably been months since all this went down. So he's probably just, he's probably just fed up waiting for the client to do his job. He's says, I'm done with you. I know where the, I know where, I know where baby Yoda is. I don't need you anymore. You're done. When Moff Gideon shows up on the hologram, he says he knows baby Yoda. He basically says baby Yoda is not with them. He's not in that carriage. He's not with, Mando, that the client has messed up. Yep. We don't know how he knows that. I mean, if he has spies out there, that outer, I mean, whether it's stormtroopers that are out there or, I don't know, spies out on the buildings, they saw these guys walking through the walking through the city with that case closed. Pretty obvious what's going on. I mean, it's not super obvious, but he's Gus Fring. He knows. I mean, it's still, <laughs> it's a, it's the same. It's it's a different character, but it's the same character. I I get it, and I I want to give the story more credit and say that there's something more to it because, and the reason why I think this is this might be true, is no one is pursuing Baby Yoda and Quill right away. Mm-hmm. What ends up happening is I think somebody the, so no the the Mandalorian he 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 once they once all the firing happens he sends out basically a distress call but he doesn't use a secure channel so the scout troopers that you see at the very beginning that check their IDs um, he they immediately go after the Razor Crest so they they basically just intercept a signal yes they intercept the signal and they start pursuing Baby Yoda and Quill who are riding on some blurgs back towards the Razor's Crest if Moff Gideon somehow knew this is Moff Gideon knew this before the scouts started pursuing Quill and Baby Yoda. I, I, this is a far-fetched theory, 
and maybe there's there's nothing to it, but I'm wondering if there's another Force-sensitive person that is a part of Moff Gideon's group. That knows you know, that, that Baby Yoda's out there? Yes, that can sense that, Baby Yoda. That could be. I'm really, I, I really just think he took an educated guess. That's what would be the simplest answer, and maybe the answer, but I'm kind of hoping that there's somebody within Moff Gideon's crew that is Force-sensitive. They want Baby Yoda. I don't think they're going to kill him. They, I think they... Do you remember? Do you recall whether or not they wanted to bring Baby Yoda back dead or alive? So they, um, at the very beginning, they, they could bring him back dead, but it was for a very reduced fee. They really wanted him alive. So I, yeah, I, I think they want him alive. And I remember them saying, they were implying that maybe they could draw something out of Baby Yoda, study him to determine what made him more sensitive is what I was thinking. Well, if you but, remember in the episode earlier when they're on the ship, um, Quill is kind of doing a little bit of a scan and a study on Baby Yoda, and he mentions uh, – it's, it's just a very small thing, but he mentioned that it doesn't seem like this child has been engineered. He looks – he's too ugly, and he's, his wrinkles are – he's got too many wrinkles. So they're kind of calling back like, oh, maybe he's not a clone. He's a natural occurring thing so it's i mean that's almost foreshadowing that the empire or the remnants of the empire want this child to be able to clone him or extract the force or midi-chlorians or whatever out of him that's true that's true the good catch i noticed that as well i didn't really think about the implications some of the theories have been that baby yoda is a clone of yoda or that we don't really know where he comes from so maybe he's the child of yaro and Yoda, but I don't think that's that all that really matters. I just think it's important to know that he's not a clone. He wasn't engineered. He is whatever born organically, and he has potential. And they haven't been able to engineer something like this before. Correct. So if there is a force-sensitive person that's rolling with Moff, then maybe they were engineered, or maybe they were they were given something synthetically to make them more powerful who knows yeah we don't know yet so let's see moth shows up blows up basically the client and all of his crew the, the scout troopers pursue quill and baby yoda there's a cut we don't see what's happening and we go back to quill and he looks like he might be dead or is knocked unconscious and Baby Yoda is laying in the sand. A scout trooper picks up Baby Yoda and starts riding back towards the city. We don't know how Quill dies. Yep, they don't show it. There was a... Th okay, and early in the episode, we skipped over this. IG-11 was previously a bounty hunter. He, he had his, you know, lived a life. He had a personality. But Mando kills him. Quill... Wanting to give him a second chance. One, the theme of redemption popping up again. He's fighting for IG-11 saying, we're going to give him a second chance. We basically reformatted his brain. And he is given a second chance. He can be a different person, a different droid now. Mando doesn't trust him. Quill brings IG-11 along with them on this mission. Leaves IG-11 on the ship. When Quill is returning back to the ship with Baby Yoda, 
he is very close to the ship when we cut away. So there's potential that IG-11 betrayed Mando and Quill and, and, and killed Quill, and maybe IG-11 is a person who notified, notified Moff Gideon that Baby Yoda is still alive. That is a very good, uh, yeah, that very well could be. So I think we covered a lot of the, the plot points and some of the themes that show up in the episode. I'm going to run through my notes real quick. Zach, I don't know if do you have any other comments that you wanted to talk about specifically about what happens within this episode? Yeah, I mean, I can go through. I've got a couple of notes, um, just a couple of little Easter eggs that I caught that I liked. Um, at the very beginning, when he goes back to um, the planet where um, Cara Dune is, she's fighting. She's in this like brawl and she's fighting as a Brack, which is the same uh, species as Darth Maul. So that was I think that's probably the only other Zabrak we've seen on screen besides Darth Maul. Um, uh, getting it, we've already talked about it a little bit, but the whole choices thing between IG-11, basically Quill is giving him a second chance, and Quill goes through a spiel about it's not usually with droids, they're not good or evil, it's whoever imparts their will on them, and it's kind of the same thing with Baby Yoda, it's whoever is teaching him, It's and it's everybody, whoever is teaching them, whoever is molding them, that's really who they become. Um, when they get attacked in the desert... I was wondering if those were Minox. Those are the things that attach to the Millennium Falcon and Empire Strikes Back. Not sure they were, but they kind of looked like them. Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting callback. Oh, and one other thing. Uh, this is more just a general thing, but um, and we've kind of uh, we're obviously excited about this episode. Or at least I am. This was this was my favorite episode or second favorite episode. And my top two were both directed by Deborah Chow. It was uh, the, yes. the Sin. The sin I saw that. And, and this one. And just to think ahead in the future, she's the showrunner for the Obi-Wan series. So yes. I think we're I think we're in pretty good hands. I mean, she's done an excellent job with her two episodes she's done so far. So I, uh, those, yeah. I, I just talking about Deborah Chow, um, I think there's a reason why they chose her to direct Obi-Wan. And again, to your point, like this is either my number one or number two. It's, it's, it's within the top three episodes of this season. And she's handling things very well. The only, the, the only flaw in this episode and in, in any episode is the performance by Carl Weathers as a grief is, is kind of over the top and comical. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. I have to kind of give that a pass. But other than that, I was very happy with this episode. I liked the misdirection. Oh, yeah, this is um, yeah, this episode had a little bit of everything. This was just it was jam packed. It was very dense. And but it was it was the most gri- it was the most gripping episode we've had in a long time. Um, I know I want to be sensitive to your time. We only have about 15 minutes left and I want to touch on a handful of things really briefly and then maybe jump on to episode nine. There was a scene where the client is admiring Mandalorian's armor. He goes on he, he goes on to comment about his admiration for the Mandalorian culture, their skills, and just in just awe of the the Mandalorians in general. It gave me it, it felt a lot of like how the British Empire, when they were expanding, they kind of, and I mean, it, it, it's the same thing as the Roman Empire and other empires and the Byzantine Empire, etc. They absorbed a lot of the cultures within their own, and 
it was a very militaristic, like forceful, you're going to join our empire, you're going to become one of us. But they, there was, there was always an admiration of other cultures, but they wanted to control those cultures. They wanted to own it. When I saw the client admiring Mandalorian's armor, I just saw it again, like, ooh, he, he is, he does have respect and admiration for the culture, but he wants to possess. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good way to put it. One other thing, and it literally just popped in my mind. I wonder if he has all this admiration for the Mandalorians because he was a Mandalorian. Oh, I, uh, the client? You mean? Yeah. At, at, I mean, hmm. he's. I mean, he's probably what sixty years old. Um, he was around before the purge. He was around before the Civil War. He was around during the Clone Wars when Mandalore was still swinging. Uh, maybe he got out or found himself on the wrong side of it or chose the Empire as his side. And I don't know. I just said it was just a thought that occurred to me. Yeah. No, it's a good question. I, uh, I don't see it. If he was an Imperial, um, I, I just haven't seen many Imperials being former, former Mandalorians besides the, the, the cloned stormtroopers. But right. I mean, it, it, it'd be cool if maybe he was, if at some point he fought against Mandalorians or he had some interaction with their culture in the past. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he's been around long enough. He's probably had something. Okay, and oh, one big question. One big question. What happened to all the Mandalorians that were hiding out in the city? So they kind of, they, they, they touch on that at the end of episode three, the the sin where they where they do their battle. Um, he basically tells them, "Hey, you guys are gonna, you know, you're gonna have to leave now." So I, I bet that's what it is. I think that just as soon as that battle happened, they all just vacated and found a new planet to go to go settle on. Okay, okay, that makes more sense. I wonder if there's a chance they may show up again in, in the final episode. Or is next week the last? Next week is the last episode, right? Yeah, next next week. It's next Friday. It's the last episode. Okay. Um, ending on a good note. Um, I think there's going to be a cliffhanger. I don't think it's going to resolve cleanly. I think we're going to have some sort of resolution, but there's going to be a lot a lot of questions that are still lingering when we're done. One one big question I have, and I don't think it's going to come up in episode eight, just because I think it's too disconnected. But um, at the end of episode. Um, five gunslinger they when um the oh shand i can't remember her first name gets shot down um and then the guy comes at the very end of the episode and checks on her i was thinking that was moff gideon but i don't think so anymore i think it's kind of i think it's too disconnected so i've heard and read a lot of stuff that people think it's uh boba fett i don't know if that's going to be answered in episode eight they might leave that for for the second season but it's definitely a cliffhanger that's still out there that could get answered next week uh, let's see. And I don't think I have any other comments. Overall, I think we, we've already said that like, we both like this episode a lot. Um, I was very forgiving of some of the you know, mediocre acting, but that's kind of whatever. I thought the themes were strong. It, I was actually thinking a lot as I watched the episode. And then as we got towards the end of the episode, it was very visceral. I was just caught up in the in my emotions and surprise of what was happening and it was it was it was fun i enjoyed it a lot and it was different from the past episodes 
I wonder if um, certain actors have a hard time getting into a um, a very fictional world like this. Like I think back to episode like the first trilogy. There's certain actors that are pretty good in it, and certain actors that are very bad in it. Like I'm thinking like Ewan McGregor, Obi Wan's pretty good. Qui Gon Jinn, uh, Liam Neeson's pretty good. But then you think about uh, Samuel L. Jackson, he's not very good. You think about Padme, she's not very good. And it's like, but then you think about this series too, where there's some of the actors just over the top, just they can't handle playing in this space where I, even though you haven't seen his face yet, his voice fits perfect. It just feels like he fits really well into the universe. I wonder if it's just, yeah, just certain actors just aren't meant to be in this type of movie. I, 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 I can see it. And I've actually heard this comment in the past where uh, it, this is basically sci-fi fantasy. Some people just can't, can't put themselves in that world. It's not high fantasy. It's not super technical sci-fi, but you need to be able to get your mind into this world. You're not they, they, they shoot some of this stuff on location, but a lot of it's probably CGI. A lot of it's green screen. So I can I can see how someone can struggle, and to to be perfectly honest and just maybe forgiving of Carl Weathers, he's getting older, so he just may not have that. He may not be as flexible as you know as elastic as he used to be. Yeah, I I agree with that. But I think about the the client, he is so like I can I could just listen he's to really I could listen to him. He's really old. He sounds so great and he fits so well into this universe. Um I so I, I really think it's an actor to actor thing. He's playing kind of a, a role that could be in any movie with a crime boss. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a little bit easier. Um I'm not gonna we're not gonna we don't need to critique their performances, but I I, get, I see your point, and I actually I agree. Moving on, let's talk about episode nine. And, and you know what? The name of the movie is The Rise of Skywalker. What is what does that mean? Skywalker is there is no no line of Skywalkers left. What could so, that mean? So the theory, at least the theory, the pre- the prevailing theory that I've heard is that at the end of this episode, there's going to be a new order, a new Jedi order established. But Ray will not call it Jedi. She'll call it the Skywalkers. Okay, okay. And um, one of the things that I that I love about Rebels is there is a group of folks who are neither Jedi nor Sith. I think they're called the ba- is it Baidu? The Bendu. The Bendu. That's yeah. That's, it's just one. Like he's one massive character. The tree he's guy. Tree dude. Yes. Yep. So Luke Skywalker, and maybe we'll, we should save this for tomorrow, but Luke Skywalker recognized that Jedi and Sith were both imperfect. Maybe the future is with this new Bandu Skywalker somewhere in between recognition of the Force, and maybe that's the future of, of uh, the Jedi Order. Yep, you can't have too much light or too much dark in your life. You gotta be, you gotta have balance. Recognize your emotions, people. <laughs> I have not seen any trailers since the initial one. Um, I've seen a lot of talk about Emperor Palpatine. 
I am really shocked that he's going to be present in this movie. I know that some of the old school fans are very excited about it, but my brain is like, how is this going to happen? What are we doing here? Like someone, someone primed me, Zach, what do I need to know going into this movie about Emperor Palpatine? I thought this dude was dead. And last I saw of the resistance, there was a dozen of them left. And yeah. we had some guys, the um, some kids who may be force sensitive. That was, you know, the broom, broom boy, as they call him, <laughs> broom boy. But other than that, the First Order is still intact and the resistance is in shambles what do i need to know to get between okay episode so eight and episode nine so as far as emperor palpatine goes we don't really have a good answer yet some people are kind of theorizing they're going to steal from legends where it's basically he had a cloning facility where he could clone himself a bunch of times some people are stealing from like the harry potter theory where it's like his soul his essence survived like voldemort and he's He's just, he took the form of something else. Um, we really don't know. That's going to be the big question that gets answered. But they have kind of, I'll try not to spoil too much stuff for you, but they, they've they kind of implied that he's been behind everything that's been happening for the last 30 years. Everything that's happened in Episode 7, everything that's happened in Episode 8, he's the big baddie that's still controlling everything. He's just even more in the background than he was in the four, five, six trilogy. So um, don't tell me. Any anything from the trailers don't actually confirm anything that I may have missed. However, that would make perfect sense in terms of story narrative, and also like it would be a, a convenient story narrative, and it would also be a nice way to take the nine movies we've seen that are part of the Skywalker saga and bookend them. From beginning to end, there is one person that's been present throughout the entire time. And if Emperor Palpatine's presence is somehow expunged after episode nine, that could be a nice clean ending for these nine episodes. Give the old guard of the the fans from the original movies some peace of mind, like saying, okay, this is this is this is my these are my nine movies. I'm ready for it to expand into something new. Yep, I, that, that you summed it up perfectly. It's just very, uh, it makes a lot of sense for him to be the final endgame because he was the one who was orchestrating all this all along. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what they're setting up with that. Um, as far as the resistance rebuilding, they have kind of uh, hit on this in, um, there's been at least one book, but a couple of things that have come out since, um, actually, I think two books really, um, that have come out since the, um, the last movie, actually just in the last couple of months, um, we believe there's about a year time span between the end of episode eight and the beginning of episode nine. Um, they they go into this that the people that escaped on the uh, Millennium Falcon, that was not just the resistance, the only resistance. There were other sec, there are other pockets of the resistance still out there. Um, they go through like having to give them the bad news of everything that's happened that we've lost most of our people, but there still are quite a few resistance people out in the, the universe. And they basically spend that year in between collecting them and assembling them into one crew. And 
if this all goes wrong, then there is no resistance. This is basically they're down, down to they're they're assembling everybody they have and they're they're making one last stand. So that's kind of where that's in a nutshell where the resistance is at. And and that could be cool because well it it makes sense and they could also instead of having exposition they you know the crawl in the beginning of the of the movie can explain all of this and we can jump in and we can say here is our resistance group of a few thousand people and here's where we at let's go and as far as your, the the last thing you said about broom boy and the other force sensitives out there they really in the trailers or any of the um any of the uh lead up material the books comics they haven't really s- talked about any other force sensitive people at least on the light side i think they're totally i think they're just kind of ditching that little that little through line from uh ryan johnson there to say yeah no we're we're doing our own thing that nobody liked that anyways so um it'd be it'd be hard to because the kid is so young and they need to they need to end this story before moving on to anything else it'd be difficult to be like oh let's let's talk about broom boy and all the other four sensitives instead let's just deal with what we have now there is one thing that came out it was either yesterday or today i think it was yesterday it came out it was a, a a comic book it was a kylo ren like lead up comic book um it reveals a lot of stuff about the knights of ren and kind of their beginning and kylo ren's beginning and um i've watched it i did i didn't read the comic but people have been putting videos on youtube about it today um it's pretty interesting. Um, I, I'm kind of go- I don't know if it ruins anything for the movie. I don't think it does. I'm, I'm actually really glad they released it uh, yesterday, and stuff's coming out about it now because it's 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 pretty good stuff. Yeah, I actually going into the Force Awakens, they were they were already talking about the Knights of Ren, and it's one bit of story they haven't really touched on too much. It's been neglected. And I think they're not neglecting it. I think they're saving it. I want to see more, and it's something that they can be that could be milked for an entire television series or something like that. Um, I'm hoping that's the case because it is too much potential to be ignored. Yeah, but I think they're going to hit them. I think they're going to hit them pretty hard in this episode. I think you're going to get some not necessarily backstory, but you're going to get some interesting things happening with them in this movie. Yes, yes. Just to touch back on the First Order, I really am hoping that the Mandalorian suggests a bit more in the next episode, the connection between the First Order and the Empire, because I think this is something that hardcore Star Wars fans and just people who are interested in geopolitical complexities may find this interesting and intriguing it may be too much for the casual fan but i keep part of the reason why i enjoy star wars is because there are real world parallels the idea of power superpowers sovereignty all these ideas and what happens when people try and stretch their power or empires try and grow what drives that that need for growth, the idea of control. They even touch on it in in the Mandalorian this episode. I think I, I mean, maybe it was the client. He may say something about being regretful that the maybe it was the Mandalorians didn't didn't 
allow themselves to be absorbed into the into the empire is that what the civil what yeah no that yep that's exactly what he said and and they actually hit on that in um in a rebels episode um where the the empire is trying to take over mandalore and there are some mandalorians that switch over and you see that's that's really the first time you see stormtroopers with jetpacks because it's actually the ex mandalorians that are that are uh, manning those things so yeah that's that's kind of what he's getting at is he's he's he would have liked the empire to be able to absorb mandalore into their own power all right so it is 7 30 pacific and it is 10 30 eastern so want to call it quits for tonight unless you have anything else you want to add zach no this is a jam-packed episode i'm looking forward to uh watching watching episode nine a week or two ago, I wasn't very excited, but now I can feel it. It, it feels real. It's on the cusp, and I'm, I'm ready to go into the movie theater in, in 24 hours and see what happens at the end of this Skywalker saga. Amen to that. All right, this is Zick and Wick signing off. All right, talk to you guys later. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. One quick thing to add on. If you want to email us, we have an email address. It is... Zick and Wick at gmail.com. That is Z I C K A N D W I C K at gmail.com. And we also have a Twitter profile. We don't really have anything up on there right now, but it is also Zick and Wick. So check us out.